Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before. He's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the penthouse of a partially completed commercial high-rise in glamorous Hollywood adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of one of LA's leading cement factories, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, the host of Mark McGrath's 120, her weekends on the 90s on 9 here on Sirius XM, the lead singer of Sugar Ray and the breakout star of the Cameo app. Hello, and welcome back once again, Mark McGrath. You know, just when you think the douche bar can't go any lower, I'll do something douchier. I just I have a really? knack for it. I'm just a viral king no of douchiness. Cam- and I, Cameo was your viral redemption. Well, it was kind of nice to... Uh, touch you know, and go for a second there. It was Not touch and go, touch and go, touch and go, touch and go. With the irony of that Cameo that became sort of a... You know, it's funny, and Cameo said it's the most watched Cameo, you know, even though I'm not the one who gets paid the most. Gilbert Gottfried makes about half a million dollars a year now on Cameo. Well, they if you, you want to cry, people, he's making half a million dollars a year. They gave you a percentage of the company for that, right? Because you saved them. Uh, well, you know, it's funny because one of the guys that, that got me onto Cameo was trying to trying to get into that because you know, the publicity was great. I just said, keep me on the featured page for the rest of my life and I'm fine. Because there's a page you, you go to, it mm-hmm. says featured. Yeah. And you see like Michael Rappaport, uh, TJ Lavin, uh, Debbie Gibson, you know, A-list stars. And then I'm on and there too as well. So uh, it's that's where people go to kind of see what Cameo is about. So you get a lot of just like, yeah. you know, a throwaway residual uh, pickups just from that. But, you know, that Cameo I did, a lot of people didn't understand was I was doing it in jest. I think we talked about mm-hmm. this. I was joking. Yes. You know. I want to believe you. Well, here's the thing. You know all those grad students that are fans of Sugar Ray? You know, those grad school students of this time, of this era that are Sugar Ray fans, maybe there's zero of them. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing when they're like, you know, we're in grad school and, um, you know, I want to break up with my boyfriend and he's doing his term paper and he's really a big Sugar Ray fan. And I just, it just didn't read right. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll take this money. And I just sold it straight. And after three minutes of rambling on and being a bit verbose and garrulous, as I am wont to do, as you can tell. Ever garrulous. I, yeah, right? And I said, at the end, maybe we can high-five someday backstage at a Sugar A show. I thought that was the dead giveaway. And this is a breakup video. So then it goes out to the ether. And then, you know, three weeks later, it caught fire. I forgot what the cameo they were even talking about. Uh, but it's been good to me, man. You know what I mean? I ain't I'm sure it has. And you're on the featured page, so people will never forget that when, you, when you're talking cameo, forget. you're talking Mark McGrath. You're you talking be, D-list celebrity. You must be breaking up relationships from coast to coast these days you know it's kind of been fun because i found a uh you know a thing yeah sure you, you know so mm-hmm. people oh, we, want, we want you fire our boss because he's such a yeah but it's been a, i will only do it if it's not mean-spirited you know what i mean um and uh, but vince, it's cool it's, it's fun vince neal's got a thing on there vince neal's was i mean people think mine was the vince neal's is the best by far hey d-rock dr feel good round round ladder bro it's more or less the vince neal live experience <laughs> Let me ask you something, Tully, being a gigantic fan of the metal and an, a fan with no irony, just like me. You, you love hair metal. It's, it's, calling it hair metal is almost insulting. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about the tour this summer with Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Poison, and Joan Jett? Now, are you all about it, like, like you, you might be? And what do you think the odds are of Vince Neil being ready to perform said tour? I think... And I, I talked to Brett Michaels about it at some length. He was sitting a couple chairs from where you are now. 
I saw Joan Jett play live at the, well, it couldn't have been that recently because it was at the House of Blues in Los Angeles, which is no more, but it was shortly before its demise. And Joan Jett's has it and it will never leave Joan Jett. And she performed in a one piece red leather jumpsuit and seduced every man and woman in the crowd. Like she has every crowd she's ever performed in front of. Joan Jett will be incredible. Um, I've never been the hugest Poison fan but Brett Michaels, as I've talked to you about both on and off mic, I think I've just, again, makes love to a crowd, works a crowd like I've never seen anybody else. They are absolute professionals. I yep. got to say hi to CeCe and, and thank him for what he's done for, for music briefly right yeah. here. I'm assuming CeCe's ready to be CeCe. And if so, you're going to be get what you want and more from Poison. Never seen Def Leppard live, but from what I understand, even though Joe Elliott has trouble singing all the high notes, they're incredible. They're amazing. And catalog then, is just too hardcore, you know. And then Motley Crue will come out and you go, all right, let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Babysitter? Do you, yeah. know, do you know when you look That's at- That's what I did. Do you know when you look at- I can see people, because I've seen this on the Sugar Ray stage. I've seen people like go- like, You know what I mean? Like- <laughs> You, we, we, me? We, like we, the Night of the Roxbury? Yeah, you yeah, want to go? I'm going to go. No, you no, want to go? go? You want to go? Like they see two songs from Sugar Ray go, you, you want to go? You know, you can, I can think it'll be a lot of that you want to goes during that. But listen, and I wonder what I'm Nikki a huge thinks. Crew fan. Me too. I love Motley Crue, and I always will. I love Vince. I love I love Tommy. I, I know him personally. Uh, never never really met Mick. I've never really been in his his, his graces. And uh, Nikki writes amazing song. I love Vince. Um, I, I think what happened is Vince was going out there solo and, and driving that Motley Crue catalog into the core of the earth. With some of the performances, and let's, if I can be honest, as someone who can, can barely sing, they weren't they weren't the 100% uh, Vince Neil Motley Crue performances that we've we've learned to expect from them. They were deeply subpar karaoke versions of Motley Crue songs. Uh, correct. With, with Slaughter as his backing band. With, with, with Slaughter, with literally the three guys who play in Slaughter as his backing band. And apparently Dana Strum, did you tell me this? Dana Strum is uh, uh, Vince Neil's assistant. I feel like... Did Man, you tell me that? I feel like you told me that. Maybe I told you. you, did you, you I'm you, starting to feel like people listening to this show are like <laughs> yelling constantly at their radio that they remember things that neither you nor I remember. Well, they tell us on social media, so you're I totally know. right. You're totally right. But so I, I love Motley Crue. I think when Nikki Six, who controls that whole Motley Crue kingdom, saw what was happening, and I, the Dirt movie, I don't think the Dirt movie was the thing that moved the needle. I think this. I, I think that's a good excuse to kind of break up the uh, the cessation of touring agreement that well, they now, all made. Hold on, Mark. I read the press release. There's been a groundswell of support from millions yeah. of new Motley Crue fans. Who, a new generation discovered them through the dirt on Netflix. Yeah. They're streaming and uh, record sales don't really uh, jive with that. But whatever you need to say to break up the cessation of... Remember that big cessation of touring? They, made, they had a lawyers. They signed, we will never tour again. Thing. I've always laughed at KISS fans. For giving Gene another chance or the benefit of that, Gene's like the ultimate rock and roll bad boyfriend to right. a fan. <laughs> and, then, and then I got Nickied. You I got actually, You got Nicky I actually believed when they signed it four ways in in blood, circle jerk, you awesome. know, Indian burn. Right. That it was done. Never again. And you knew like there, there's a dynamic in that band that I felt they were done. I don't think they hang out and high five each other all day long. Mark, you know? I watched YouTube videos of... Vince looking nothing like Vince, dressed up like classic Vince, struggling to compose himself to go (laughs) on what was the final night to us as the final performance of Home Sweet Home. I got verklempt watching that multiple times. You got robbed of your emotion. And Nikki Six has betrayed me. 
Well, you know, here's something about bands. They never retire. The Who's last world tour was mm-hmm. in 1982. They said, we're never, this is it, guys. 1982, we're never touring again. Ozzy's been retired longer. Forever and ever. Than, than, uh, he's been retired longer than he was active. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And Kiss says this is the last tour, but recently they've been saying, we didn't say we weren't going to play anymore. We just said it was our last world tour. So bands never die. And I will uh-huh. say this, and I will say this, and I think I've said this to you before, by being in a band. By, the thing about being in a band and nostalgia is is it's sad to watch. And I'm saying this as a guy who deals in nostalgia. Because if Michael Jordan could play basketball right now, he'd be playing basketball. Mm-hmm. It'd be very sad to watch Michael Jordan play against Zion Williamson right now on the NBA floor. It'd be very sad. We get to watch the bands grow old and fat and bald right in front of our faces while we carry on playing music. So there's a real sad nostalgia. That's why nostalgia is sad in the music business and not with our athletes. Athletes get out because they have to. They just cannot perform anymore. If right. you kind of get up. Well, they have to perform against each other. Right. If the Who had to get on stage and, and beat Bruno Mars, well they, said. they wouldn't even try. Well said. There's a competition level that exists in, in sports that does it in music. You just have to get there and croak or play the tracks or do whatever, and people still, still will come see. And, and thank God that's what I'm trading in right now. But uh, so. That's why I understand when bands say, like, this is it. It's never it. It's never over. As long as one original member is alive, someone somewhere will be using that trademark. Well, right. And you don't know the circumstances. One guy might be really, really broken begging the other guys. That's one part of it. Absolutely. Angus Young, when asked to defend going around with Axl Rose, basically said, I, my, I've got two choices. Either dance around on stage, play songs I love for thousands of adoring fans, and come home with $1 million dollars. Or don't do that. Which right. one would you choose? Like, there's lots and lots of reasons why. And Kiss, if, as it is widely alleged, uh, Paul is either in part or in whole no longer singing live. Yeah. I guess some fans have, Eddie Trunk has said this, have gone is, through and, and analyzed the vocal track. And it's the identical right. vocal track like you'd see in Pro Tools over and over again. I saw them at the Whiskey, thanks to SiriusXM recently, and it was, it was incredible because they, st- I mean... Stroke of luck, put the makeup on. We're wearing wigs from the beginning. They right. Paul is shredded. Fit. He's ripped. Fit. If you want kiss, like if you wanted if you want the best, you're not getting the best. <laughs> but if you want a reasonable facsimile. <laughs> by the way. Seattle, I- you wanted a reasonable facsimile of kiss. You got a reasonable facsimile of kiss. Oh my god. I will always love that band. And I want to live I don't want to live in a world where Kiss is not available performing live. And right. I don't care. They've even said, listen, you know, Gene and Paul don't have to be in the band. I've heard Paul say this. Like they can just trade up, mark it out, and they might have other dudes in makeup and go out there and do this. And I will always have a place in my heart for Kiss because they were a band that always gave bands, their up-and-coming bands, a shot. Our first real arena gig was opening up for Kiss in 1995 at the Key Arena in Seattle. And we had nothing. Our first record came out. It didn't even sell 10,000 copies. But they were giving every band their like their dream come true in case it didn't happen. They did really? It. Oh, they did it out so of the goodness of their heart. Because uh, I know, uh, again, interviewed Jesse Malin from yeah, from Degeneration. De- De- they yeah. did like two years with them, like Kiss did. But I'm not sure he ever met them. Well, he might not. Well, we, well, it's funny enough. We met them coming down the stairs. They were there in their makeup, and they took a picture with us. So they were just nothing but gracious with us. And it was one show. And I said, if, if my whole rock and roll career and music career is one show opening for Kiss in Seattle, I'm, a, I'm fine. Sign I'm fine. Up. Yeah. 
But, you know, going back to the whole, you know, why do bands still do it and stuff? You don't ask a dentist who's like 52, hey, dude, you still doing that dental thing? You know what I mean? It's what we do. Once you become a certain age and you have a certain success, and if the people still want it, we're still going to do it, man. There's no exit strategy. Well, why, though? It's right. something you love doing. You got, the, you got the golden ticket. You're in Willy Wonka's factory. Why would you take your uniform off and go, I'm going to quit playing? And I know it's not for everybody. That's why some of the original members leave, guys, because they can't hack it anymore or they don't love it anymore. Yeah. You have to love it the long way. I love performing. And we, I, I've joked before, like, I'll be in a Denny's in Barstow at 75 doing my third set of Sugar Ray songs, and I'll die with my mic in my hand, singing Fly with my face into a Grand Slam breakfast. And that's the that's way I want to go out. That's why I want to go out. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and please don't feel sorry for me. I, and it's, it's, I love performing. It's what I do. It's in my blood. So sometimes people are like, why can't you get the original guys get back together? And I always say, if you can call your original boyfriend or girlfriend tonight and go out to dinner with them and have a great time and do whatever you used to do, let me know, and I'll get the original band back together. I also have trouble wrapping my brain around the way that I used to look at it when you're young and an angry young man and you're idealistic. Like I was very happy, for example. I got into the Pixies. I think they had, yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Black was already on his first, his second solo album, by the, so they were long gone by the time I got into them. And I was so happy when I went back and found out what they had been all about, that they had walked away after Trump Lamont because it, it just seemed like such a perfect place for them to stop. And now I literally mean I I, I I can kind of still relate to the emotion, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure even then I could have rationally put into words why. Who is it hurting? What is an artistic legacy? If you there's plenty of bands that I like I, Spoon. I loved Spoon. Great band. And then they slowly morphed into another thing and I was like, eh, I'm out. And then they blew up. And it doesn't affect me at all. Like if they had just broken up, if they had just gotten dropped by Electra Records like they did and hadn't soldiered on and managed to get another deal, what difference does it make that they've got 20 albums that I don't give a shit about? Why do we care? Like nobody is forcing you to go see The Who at Giant Stadium. Well, because so, what, so is it because when you like something, and especially in music, especially when you're young, it's a reflection of you yeah. and your personality and your characteristics. Remember when we were young? Like all I liked was the Sex Pistols, Damned, and The Clash. Nothing else. You know, and that was my identity. You know what I mean? So if if, if there is like a, a catalog that doesn't really suit my identity or they got off track or lost an original member, this is getting me. I remember when the cult lost an original member. It ruined my life. Oh, my God. Why couldn't get, you know, it was my young self talking because my identity was was being taken away. So I understand uh, as I get older why that means so much to people. But at the end of the day, you really shouldn't give a crap. And then the day you also have people working together in a small group and how many people are actually still together with the first job they ever had and with all the people there working together not many so ironically bands have a pretty good percentage of first original jobs of people still being together well I don't know what a I'm lot talking of, a lot of people anymore. stay married for for financial reasons right well that there and you that's, and that's a lot of you think you two hangs out every day uh no, definitely not. You think the Eagles do? It's a lot easier to be the Eagles when you can take a private plane everywhere without the other homies mm-hmm. than being, say, I don't know, some band that doesn't exist on that level, that stratosphere. Yeah. You know, there's $15 million at the end of your gig to put up with dude you can't stand. You know, I, and look, I'm not saying those bands are doing those things. 
Oh, yeah, I forgot what the cameras are. But uh, yeah, but you never know. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't know what's behind the curtain. So it's hard to, you know, I, as a guy who's in a band, you just, I don't even know what's going on in my own band. So it's hard to really genuflect on what is going on. And revisionist history lets us look back, you know, as, as a Monday morning quarterback. And, I wonder what the dynamic is, since you mentioned you two, between Bono and The Edge. Because they're the two who have never been tempted to do solo things. And why is that? Do you they think they're always, smart enough to know they're the Lennon and McCartney? They're the Keith, well, Keith and Mick? Obviously, they've tried because you can't help but try. The Edge has plays guitar when Bono's not around. He can't help but oh, either get or, or not get ideas. But uh, Have we, they ever released a solo piece of material by themselves? So we did on this show a while back listen to a soundtrack for like some forgotten 80s movie that this the is Edge, the people listening yelling at me right now right the, no saying? i don't know why you would remember this it's a really beautiful song that the edge did with an up-and-coming Sinead o'connor singing oh that's right i remember this really, very well really beautiful but re- kind of inessential as a as a song great sounding not necessarily a great song but like I was listening to my friend Tony Thaxton's Bizarre Albums podcast, and he was talking about the soundtrack to the Spider-Man musical, the yeah. well-begun Spider-Man musical, that they hired the Bono and the Edge to write music for that. You'd think if ever there was a time for Bono to just- Just go solo. Just do a, a thing and collect the paycheck or, yeah. or indulge it, his passion for Spider-Man. I and you know. can hide behind the Spider-Man shield and, and web, if you, you will. You don't have to tour it. You don't no have to record it or anything. But when, 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 when it was time to bring in the best to try to save that musical or try to make it as best it could possibly be, they, they got the two of them. They were a package deal. Well, maybe that's what makes them so great. You yeah. know, when, when they know this, and they're very smart, when you know the sum is greater than the parts, you know, it's, uh, there, there's magic in them Dairy Hills over there in Dublin. You know, U2 is just something special. Still being relevant, still being in the game so long, and still having the original members, it's an incredible tip of the cap. Because the money that's been thrown their way, the temptation been thrown their way, I'm sure the inner da- band di- dynamics are unbelievable. And Bono, you know, loves him some Bono. Sure. You know, so there, there's, I mean, just they're, they're facing everything and still uh, able to cope and, and carry on. I mean, my hat's off to him. So, still, I mean, one of the best live bands in the world. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when he walked in the first time with the new sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think of, uh, guys, what was it, Mephisto? What was that? Oh, Mephisto was the, was the guy the who character. sang Lemon. Yeah, but he's like, this is the real me, but that's who he wanted to be. I love that. It's my character. So she the last lemon. time you and I spoke, yes. we were discussing... 90s one hit wonders failed follow up singles and uh, if there's time maybe we'll do uh, a few more of those including an artist or two we've already touched on but we also discussed the failed follow up singles of hair metal acts <sighs> love this it was called the best topics bro they just make me happy so this was the thing right record labels I'm trying to think of I was trying to think of a comparison last night that uh, like maybe Jay-Z doing like a uh, hard knock life to cross over where he had so much success. And I know he'd already had hits, but to make like the song that like your girlfriend and your the mom would also likes, like. Yeah. Um, Inoffensive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So every hair metal act, it didn't matter if you were the, you'd put, it didn't matter how successful you were on the strip or how great a band you were or how hard you, how you guys rocked or how beautiful your singer was or how high he sang or how fast your guitar player played. You had a four-song demo, and the only one anyone cared about was the third. About was the third one, right? Because that's what you did, right? Right. You put your opener yep. number one, yep, and then you put your rockin' single, 
And then you're, you put you're, the, you're down boys, what have you. Yep. Then you put the DCG heaven, yeah. the power ballad. <laughs> number three on number the Number three. Row. And then nobody gave a and shit. And then no one listened to the fourth one. Nobody listened to the fourth one. Dude, I've had A&R people tell me that very thing. You know what I mean? What is the best hair metal power ballad of all time? Okay, a question I want to ask you about hair metal power ballads is Here I Go Again by White Snake. No. Thank you. Not even close. Not even, it's, it's ludicrous. It rocks. I know. It's you, fucking, when you hear the chorus, you do this, this. You don't do this in a power ballad. It's double time. Right. Right, yeah. exactly. I know. It's ripping guitars in that. And it's, the, it's, it's a tremendous great solo. Song. No. No. Arguably, actually, like if anybody gives a shit about hair metal in like sixty years, could be the sole survivor. It is, it's a it, perfect it is example a perfect, of the genre, without a doubt. It's perfectly written, perfectly sang, perfectly played. Because Will Pendarvis like shouted me down. He mentioned it. I think he was putting together like a ballad weekend for the Hair Nation channel, and and that, that came up. And I and I it's was insulting. like, it's not a ballad. And he's like. It just is, and just forget it, and I don't even want to talk about he it. He was just trying to fill time in the playlist. You know what I mean? No, he's it, convinced that he's right. And then I was looking up lists of hair metal power ballads to try to put this segment together, and it was listed on a couple of them. Is well, this is this love was there? Well, also, you got to remember- what Is this look- love is way more. I mean, that's a power ballad. And even that is more mid-tempo than- Right, but I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. You know? That was track three on the demo. I, I guess the verses of Here I Go Again have a little bit of a power ballad feel. Oh, definitely. You know, I'm, I'm just another monster, you know, but it's, it, it starts rock. You can't, you can't rock. You can't have both. You can't have ballad and rock. So a lot of these songs were not as successful on the charts as I, as I thought they had been. Okay. We're doing, we're going to do the follow up to a hair metal band's hit, hit, okay. which is always the ballad. <laughs> well, I would say Warrant broke with the ballad. Wouldn't you, even though Down Boys had, yeah, I'm wrong. Down Boys was, went like gold, then, then. Well, I was surprised. A lot of the bands that I would have been inclined to include did have there. There were more successful rockin' hits on the pop charts than I thought. Both um, Cherry Pie, yeah, Cherry Pie's number one, wasn't was it? it? It was a top ten song for definitely. sure. And there was another one, and they also had more than one successful ballad because I saw Red charted. Yeah, yeah. Remember there was a big they video had, play. There was an I don't know if it was maybe even Uncle Tom's Cabin could that have made it into the top ten for pop? Maybe, maybe. Well. Maybe not top ten, maybe top twenty, but yeah. you know, but like, I mean, that was a time when like, um, you know, um, you know, like, uh, nothing but a good time would be number four on the charts. I mean, these hair metal had a real place and sold a lot of records. I remember all these Poison records being sold, and like grunge came in, and everybody was like, "I never bought a Poison record." I go, "Wait a minute, they sold thirty five million copies. I couldn't have been the only dude." You know what I mean? There was just like, uh, there was just like uh, disdain overnight, but. Uh, rightfully so, because if you even, I mean, overnight careers were killed. So when the band released the ballad, because major labels had so much money to throw around, they could just waste money knowing that they were wasting money. That's they right. They could just uh, sign people. Expense accounts. Because they, yeah. they were friends. So take Faster Pussycat. Mm-hmm. They finally have a modest hit. I think it peaked at number 28, House of Pain. Which I remember hearing on my local. House of Pain didn't get higher than that, isn't it crazy? Yeah, because MTV Video, it was like a top five. You know, it's very long. It takes its time to get to the chorus and stuff. Ultimately, it might be more like a five minute song. Even with I, I'm so crazy. I could tell you the radio edit. How long is the radio edit? Well, no, 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 no. I I don't know how long it is, but I can tell you what. Oh, you can tell which was what. Yeah, there's there's an opening guitar solo that they chopped in half. Like I know all the shit that they. I was always a fan of. Proud of you for knowing that. Of what they had to do to get these songs on the radio. I'm a huge fan of Fast Pussycat. The first record's dynamite to me. I love it. But they didn't have a second ballad. That was the other thing. Usually, you'd have 
track three, track four is your good ballad. Right. And like track eight is the shitty one. Right. You, you know, exactly. It's like, a filler. Yeah. Like a firehouse. Yeah. Who, who managed <laughs> to actually get the They had one. some number one. They had like three power ballads. They did. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting because they're a band that kind of rocks live and then they play the three power ballads. It's a very strange uh, dynamic with them. I kind of enjoy firehouse. I do too. I don't mind them. Yeah. I think they might have been. I always wonder who was the last band mm-hmm. to get in the gate before they right. shut it closed. I think Firehouse might, was it. They might. They might well be it. I think you're probably right. And Trickster was right there. And Mr. Big had a gigantic hit too as well. But then they just slammed the door. But yeah. I think Firehouse turned the light off when they got in. Yes, and they were the writing on the wall that where guys, what are we doing here? (laughs) Because these guys were a copy of this, and these guys were a copy of this, and and I don't think any even I could not get all that excited about a copy (laughs) a copy of Firehouse. So, uh, like, take uh, Extreme for example. I was the I was a massive Extreme fan, and they always said, "Well, we use our name as a creative license. We're not just a metal band. We can do funk. (laughs) We can do metal. We can do funk metal." I love that. And so, what them doing more than words was very much about look at how much range we have we can do kind of like a simon and garfunkel kind of thing here they didn't have another the the power ballad was on the album was never going to work it was like nine minutes long that but they did have wholehearted yeah which was like a right. probably a top 10 hit in oh wholehearted was top 10 for sure it was massive for sure that was a bonus track that's they, what these bands they, they, they threw do. it on right because if if you don't like what yeah. you see here yeah, get, get the, the, funk, the out. funk out i think they may have re-released get <laughs> yeah. the funk out and we're like, nah, we're yeah. cool with that one. And so they put out Wholehearted, which was uh, an eight-track home demo. I didn't know that. Yeah. The story was Nuno had never owned a 12-string guitar, and Taylor, uh, Washburn, which was a sponsor, sent him one, and uh, he just serendipitously had to poop when it arrived in the mail, and Gary Sharon, the singer, was over his house, and he bet him. He said, I'm going to take a shit, and when I come back, I will have written, I will have written a song. It feels like a take out, a shit song. And he came out of the bathroom it with feels wholehearted. Like a, feels That's like the actual story. And I'll tell you why. Because if I'm sitting on the toilet paying guitar, I'm yeah. playing D first. So that thing goes. <laughs> But you know, because it's the easiest one when you're you're you're, you're defecating. Oh my god, so that's you go, so funny! And he you're just rolls the D up. No, goes dan and dan. It's just dan. You can't do much shitting and playing. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> so, fabulous. You are so, <laughs> exactly right. My my hat is off to yeah. that, that defecation of wonder. So they had so they had another. I didn't know that. <laughs> Who told you? That? He did. He told like Guitar oh, Player Magazine. Oh, hey, if he did that, I believe. I read you. all these. Oh, I forgot. I have I have gifts for you. Wait, oh, I'm going to yeah. dole these out. If you have ripped magazines and like and Rock City News is over there, I'm going to die. Well, here, I got a couple of vintage circus magazines. I've been oh. promising you these for forever. Well, oh this is my where God. I found out that Extreme wrote more Dude, than words while they were shitting. Can yeah. I ask you a question? Yeah, you must America. want these back. No, 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 no. Are you no. sure? Oh my god! I'm so I, I'm. I wish my, I could. My just... relationship with those for several months has been much like you know Betancourt's <laughs> relationship to the song "Wholehearted." So, I so them. there's some DNA on these, right? All right, so <laughs> these will be read exactly where you read them. Believe yeah. me, my friend. Uh dude, man, I I used to get so excited picking up copies for a of new these, circus man. magazine. Oh, yeah, five bucks. That's that's. I mean, oh, okay. This is five. This is a uh, this is a UK magazine. No, Circus is the U.S. Five bucks but is what I paid for it. This version is it? Why does it say? Nah, no, this this went to dollars and pens. This went to Rick Lombardo. I know. Oh, this is, did you get a garage or something? There's a record store. They're so mean. A couple blocks from here. It it is not Aaron's, is it? Uh, I don't know the name. I don't think. Uh, so. Do they have a bunch of hit paraders, rips, and all that? I am trying to find. I, 
like vintage rip magazine on mm-hmm. an eBay is like $150. Really? Yeah, like Britney Fox and like Slaughter. I'm like, oh my God, it's my fantasy. But thank you, bro. I'm so excited. I wish I could articulate my excitement to the people listening. But uh, Tully gave me two circus magazines. One has Cheap Trick on the cover and the other has Def Leppard Rocks America. Uh, one's 83, so some pyromania was just starting to light up. No pun intended, USA. And this is Cheap Trick on the cover. It's been probably the 70s, right? Uh, November 1979. Wow. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm honored. Thank you, brother. Here, totally. I got you this too. Oh! <laughs> Look at this. A circus t-shirt, dude. I mean, I, 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 I don't... Thank you. You're very welcome. I don't deserve your kindness, but I will take it. I am so happy. I was so excited like, when I, I lose saw twenty those. pounds. I'll fit into this shirt, man, for sure. Oh, I'm really, I, I think you could do it. I'm I, kidding. I, I saw the I saw the V neck. I thought. Where did you find this? Circus Magazine just launched a Twitter that's half about celebrating like this day in rock, this band put this out, and half about some weird grudge they have against their original <laughs> editor in chief. So great. <laughs> so I immediately need to get on their Twitter. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, it's so great. I got gifts. I'm so happy. Thank you. Sure. So Faster Pussycat had success with House of Pain and the label. It wasn't just an option to just go, hey, guys, you don't have another single. Why don't you just get back, go back to the shed, write another ballad, and we'll talk in Well, in wasn't that months. sort of the, 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 the MO back then? The bands would all write their songs. Yeah. They'd have all these filler rockers that go, guys, don't hear a single. Mm-hmm. I want three chords, D, C, and G, and go give me a power ballad. That's exactly right. They did not have one on their first album, and I have to imagine that there was explicitly stated, don't even bother bringing us the demos for the second album if you Unless, don't have something. Right. And Tammy, the singer, who I love and who I still Tammy's enjoy awesome. going to see perform live to this Great day, guy. said yep. that he, if he if he had to write a ballad, which it, it was implied he did have to write a ballad, he wasn't going to do a cheesy love song. So House of Pain is actually about his dad abandoning the family. If you listen well, to you the words, feel it. You can feel it. And yeah. you can feel the, the, the tone inflection in his voice. Voice, you know, mm-hmm. little bass supper time. You yeah. know the way he's delivering it's all comes from the heart. I mm-hmm. mean, and the video was a perfect. Uh, he may have even gotten off cocaine to, to my, write and for a second. It. Yeah, he, you know, right now he's couldn't be. He's like 135 pounds, really? sober. Oh, dude, he's been sober for like a couple of years. Like, oh, then I saw him a couple of years ago, plus six months. Yeah, no, no, you did, you did, no, because he was he was drinking hard. I think uh, you know he, he got the call from and said, "Hey, bro, you you gotta, you know, we gotta start living right." And he's just like. Clean, sober, healthy, tan, really? surf, yeah, Weird. six pack, yeah, and the whole thing. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I know. You, you I almost saw... want your grungy, like, lipstick smeared uh, Tammy Down, but I want Tammy Down on this earth, though, sure. For sure. I saw know? him in New York 20 years ago, but way past the heyday, and like three songs, and he's like, all right, everybody, let us know where we get the cocaine. And then, like, after track nine, <laughs> like, it's like, not serious. Like, <laughs> no, but seriously, we'll be on the tour bus. <laughs> No, but, and I know I mentioned it again, but really, we were looking for that cocaine. Merch is in the back, but more importantly, <laughs> but you know, I think also faster push to get they they were they were they almost had they had a punk rock background, and so yeah. they kind of threw out this grungy uh, Th- Johnny Thunders, uh, New York Dolls, Stonesy punk rock first album. Got a little taste of the big time because they opened for like Alice Cooper and Guns and Roses, and well, had plus every friend, everybody they'd been rubbing shoulders was, with became was a, a superstar. And so I don't think they fought so hard in the let's have a ballad thing because. No. That was the pathway to success. Yeah, you no, know? no, I don't Everybody. think they fought it. I just think Jamie couldn't write it in write a crappy to write one. a cheesy yeah. one. So he had to find something he could actually, you know, write a write a ballad about. There's a song on the first record called uh, "No Room for Emotion." It's yeah. very bluesy and it's it, it, very stonesy. Yeah, but it's it's to me it's 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 a uh, it's a power ballad, but it's just too cool. You know, it was too it's too much and and it was it, the production on the first record uh, was great for what it was, but the second one really delivered. Yeah, no, no. The, here's here's no room for emotion. Thanks, since you 
Since I love that song. I love the song. Little stones here. Oh yeah. I got no. It's the harmonies. Let's keep the mix. Yeah. Terrific. Um, and like a cloud dripping radiation all over my head. He's the come best, on, Tammy. He's the best lyricist. Good in all lyricist. Of hair metal, and it's not even it's not even close. Because he danced that very razor thin line of of wink wink cheese to mm-hmm. really cool lyrics. You know, bathroom walls awesome. Yes, Babylon where they like they want to do a Beastie Boy song, and it's great lyrics in that. So I, I don't know. I just I'm a huge Fast Pussycat songs fan. I'm glad you are too. And unlike the other hair metal bands that cowered in their snakeskin boots with right. the arrival of grunge. Yes. Tammy A is from Seattle, whatever for whatever that's worth, and uh, welcomed it. Actually, their last album, which flopped hard, uh, had a song about Andrew Wood from Mother Love Bone. Oh, yeah. They were very, very close. Yeah, exactly. He was part of Duff, that Duff McKagan whole, that's he was right. part of the yeah, whole yeah. scene, you know? Duff, also was- no fear of grunge. Yeah, zero fear. So, the label had to put out a single after... House of Pain, there was not even a... Actually, do you know what? There was a terrific ballad that was also a bonus track on that second Fester Pussycat album. What, was that Where There's a Whip, There's a Way? Was that the, the second one? Yeah. What was the third record called? Uh, so the... Well, the first one is... Self-titled. Because... Oh, uh, what is the album called? What was the... Yeah, what was Wake one? Me When It's Over. Oh, Wake Me When It's Over was the yeah. second one, right? So there's self-titled. Self-titled. And then there's Wake Me When It's Over. And this is this is the potential radio single called Where There's a Whip, There's a Way. Yeah. going to tighten up the slack on your chains. I don't recall that making much of a dent on the no, top and just, 40 charts. Uh, we just were commanding him on what a great lyricist he was. That was probably not the top of his lyrical game right there. Well, what? I think he came from the heart. I think he was really, really into bondage. Oh, I, I'm sure he was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe... <laughs> I'm not sure millions of Americans felt the same way or that aggressive in their sexual encounters. <laughs> <laughs> I think a power missionary was more... Uh, the, the standard for most of us back then. Do you uh, do you remember this song? This is a bonus track. It's six minutes long. It's gonna be Poison Ivy. No. It's just too damn slow. I, it sounds awesome, but it's just it's it's not a I hit. Know, I know. They could have got this thing down to, you know, I'm actually surprised that labels didn't take more evasive maneuvers in those days because it was what so do you mean? obvious. Editing wise well, or getting in the studio and almost needed to say you have this gigantic, great chorus and you have a really nice pre-chorus and the verse is two and a half minutes Don't long. Don't bore us. We get need to, to the chorus. We actually need to rewrite this song right. and get back into the studio in like a week. And we and you know what we believe in you. We yeah. think we have a hit here. We yeah. just think we a couple tweaks because we're a record label and we've delivered a few. Yeah, you know. And uh, what was the name of that song again? It's called Please Dear. Please Dear. It's and, one of the bonus tracks on the album. I don't it, never really knew what bonus track meant. It meant let's repackage so you buy it again for Christmas type but it thing. Came, it was on the original release. 
They'd always say that. Now, the Japanese bonus track, I understand. Well, that, that I understand as well. But So I don't understand. So the, the original release had bonus tracks on it. It would have it. an asterisk after the last two songs. Arizona Indian Doll, which is also a fun little tune. Yeah, that's fun. And Please Dear were the bonus tracks on the album. Wholehearted was a bonus track on, on Extreme, but you could not find a version of Extreme 2 Porno Graffiti that did not have the bonus. Well, maybe there was like a uh, you know a hundred thousand pressed, and then that was the next batch pressed. That could be one, or you only get paid for so many songs you put on a, a record. I think if you put twelve songs on a record in a major label, you don't get paid for anything else. Oh, I, really? It, it, it's a weird numbers thing. And forgive me if I'm wrong. I'm sure people are yelling at me, but I remember going, "Hey, why don't we put sixteen on this?" And they go, "It doesn't matter because you only get paid for 12. I'm going, Forget that. Let's put twelve on it. Mm-hmm. So I think that might have some bonus tracks thing. I might be saying some false information, but uh, it's a theory. Yeah, I've it's a theory. It's a theory. definitely a theory. It's an opinion. So L.A. Guns again did not crack the top ten, or I'm not even sure. The oh, top Ballad 20. of Jane did. Did it? Ballad of I Jane. I hope you're did. right. Yeah, Ballad of Jane did for sure. Well, let's hear the song that was going to sustain Phil Lewis and Tracy Guns and the rest of the band. Cocked and Loaded is such a girl. loved it. It's a really disorienting delay. It, it's too much of try. Tracy's one of my favorite guitar players ever. Listen to that. Ripping. I believe Phil's lyrical too. The Ballad of Jane. Ballad of Jane was what? Peaked in 1989 at 33. I know. That's just not fair. It's not. But you know what? I guess I was gauging all my success on MTV. That video was relentless. I assumed that if they played you regularly on Headbangers Ball that you were the biggest band in America. Oh, I did too. I did too. Uh, But I just, I could have sworn I saw chart action, sex action, chart action with uh, LA Guns in it. I guess I'm not. That cock and loader record, I love. I love. I love. Do you like LA Guns? LA Guns is right with, pass, with Faster Pussycat for me. I just. I oh, love I don't like them bands. nearly as much as you don't. Faster Pussycat. Interesting. Uh, I the first album is the best one, but mm-hmm. the if you think the production on the first Faster Pussycat is lacking, boy, it, that, yeah, that, that that first LA Guns is is a tough listen. It's 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 rough. I, I mean, the songs are so good. Kind of makes me want to go to a strip club. I don't know. Which is probably Which what, is what they kind of want what you to do. Yeah, for. I think they achieved that mission there. But those two bands i i like the sleazy sort of punk rock production of those and i wonder if those are by choice because all the la guns and faster post to get both had extreme punk rock origins yeah, right i don't know if they want get me bob rock get me ted templeman we want to keep our roots you know what i mean we want to sound new york dalsy hanoi roxy as opposed to sounding like you know uh warrant or ted or you know where the bands that were big then or rat or something like that maybe i don't or know maybe if, they didn't have the, the, the budget to get a big guy you know? i think it's that and i also think that it's like the engine the guy who engineered the last really successful album got to cut his teeth producing with you're right recent and, signees and he forgot about like, bass guitar <laughs> <laughs> So, so yes. did L.A. Guns have a follow-up ballad after uh, Ballad of Jane? Did they try to Next get- album. Oh, never. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs. Never enough. Just another night, and I'm all alone. And I'm wondering, y'all, who you holding? Uh, 
But it's over now. It's over now. Did I love that song, man? Oh, if I know it's over now. For me, never enough was kind of as much as I needed from maybe a little malaria from malaria. What about what about Electric Gypsy and Rip and Tear, bro? Rip and Tear. Do you know the Throbs by any chance? Yeah, of course. The Throbs to me are kind of like a superior LA Guns. Okay, that's fair. That's very fair. Where were they from? New York? Yeah. They, See, I'm L.A., you're yeah, New York, bro. Right. You know, I guess I, that's what it comes down to. They the, had Mulholland, Mulholland Woman in the song, so I'm in. The Throbs got signed in, like, 87 and got this, like, million-dollar deal. Like, yeah. a legit million-dollar deal. Everybody wanted them. They were going to be... I can't tell you how many bands were New York's answer to Guns N' Roses. Well, Circus of Power was. The yeah, Throbs the, were. The Raging Eagle, Slab yeah, was. The, yeah. <laughs> Raging Slab, that's Love right. Raging Slab. Little Taiketto. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the guy became this crazy perfectionist, blew a lot of the budget having Little Richard play some tinkling piano wow. on one of the songs. And it took, it was like, it was like a Chinese democracy that nobody knows about. It took like five years for him to finally deliver the album. What year did it come out? I think it came out in like 92. Do you know what that is? And by that point. Self-saboteur. Yeah. You know, like some, someone who just goes, I'm just going to ruin this myself because I'll know why I didn't succeed. Do you know what I mean? Like, I hear a lot about that. Well, I just think sometimes you get there and you're like, oh my God, I'm here. We're expected to be the next this, that, and the other. The pressure's so high. The money's been there. People believe in us maybe more than I do. I'm going to like railroad this thing. I'm not saying the Throbs did this. But I understand. There's cases of this being done where like, I'm just going to be the self-saboteur of this. So I'm the one that dictates how the story plays out. We failed because, you know, I just spent a lot of money and got, you know, you know what I mean? It's almost like people are afraid to succeed. It's almost like careful what you ask for type thing. Yeah. Years later- not that many years later, I guess. Things seem like a lot longer when you're younger. A yeah. couple of years after the album had come and gone and flopped, The Language of Thieves and Vagabonds, my band was playing a show at a very small club in New York. And I remember the singer, Ronnie Sweetheart, was outside with his motorcycle and was kind of like, oh, we're like, oh, you're Sweetheart. Because like, we were like, of course. We were, we, were, we were posing. That was Axl Rose, right? We were past hair metal. And actually, we were only <laughs> excited when we met. The most exciting thing that ever happened in the history of my band is we showcased at some place uh, downtown New York and the. Uh, one of the guys on our management team had a connection to Skid Row, and Dave the Snake Sabo came and was like, "Hey guys, good show." He's the nicest dude ever, wasn't he, sweetheart? It's all it, all yeah. it, yeah. Like the, the to be to get the approval of Skid Row was the only thing that really mattered to us. But I remember sweetheart going, "Hey guys, I'm playing. You stick around for the show." And we're like, "Yeah, maybe we'll stick around." He's like, "Stick around for the show." Did the Throbs play after you no, guys? Just sweetheart, just sweetheart and, and his motorcycle. And, and, and was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and an acoustic guitar sitting up perched on top of a motorcycle, and and kind of like just trying to find anybody who would stick around. It's just the, trying to make it happen. Show. And yeah. you're like, oh, bro, you're my hero. Oh, I'd just, love to stay, man, but... Music industry is a cruel yeah, mistress. God, God, was God, the God, record good? Cheese. The album is incredible. Like, fuck the plan. I, I was going to play a Steelheart song. Who cares about Steelheart? You remember Steelheart, I right? do. The guy can sing his ass off. They just never spoke to me. They get real technical to me, you know? This Steelheart was too precious. This is super technical. This is the biggest song in the world, in the Philippines, Indonesia... And any karaoke thing, it's insane how big Steelheart is in all those areas. There's some registers I don't want to hear in my power ballads. Like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear that. Just what I told what you just heard. I don't want to hear that either. And tucked in my power ballad. Is this? I don't even know if the original version of this album is out. This is a photo that is not the cover of the. Uh... The Throbs had a total punk rock background, right? This is. When the Throbs finally delivered an album. <laughs> they got Ravi Shankar in a place. It, <laughs> it began with sitar. <laughs> I'll try to get to actual music here. Else, 
There you go. It's so good. Everybody else went high. Sweetheart went low. I like it. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, whilst your heart was going yeah, high, they were going everybody was zigging. Sweetheart zagged. Dude, it's a great album. Fire. Oh! Big oi vocals. Love that. Boy, this is trying to be a lot of things at once, though. Yeah. Definitely in that, like, we can tow the line like the cult. Exactly. I love that name. Throbs the all-time They were, yeah, they were. I remember when they got signed. Remember the whole heat behind them in New York? I remember it very well. I remember they were very offended that their label distributed um, promotional dildos. I might be, too. I don't know how to. You know, it wasn't it, consistent with their artistic vision. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's going to immediately take half the people out of the game. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, not everybody wants to receive a dildo. Well, it's just a journalist. <laughs> well, journalists too, love though. dildos. <laughs> it's a known fact. Um, that I was going to say, God, I forgot. Go ahead. Okay, so another uh, kicks. Kicks blow my fuse. A great band, and boy, it's still today. I know. A great. So good. Steve might sing better today than he did back then. And he just says, all I do is eat healthy. I run all day and that's it. He's, ne- he's, he's never drank, never smoked. He's extremely healthy. And he's, extremely into his craft. Yeah. He's got that kind of, uh, I, I, poor man's just sounds denigrating. Take it for what it is. He's got a, a poor man Steven Tyler thing about him. Right. A little bit of, uh, you know, Bon Scott thrown in there, a little Brian Johnson. I just mean his his energy. Oh, his like energy. He's, oh. He's, he's all. He's one of the best front men of all time. He's, he's all sinewy. All, all sinewy skinny, and limbs flying all over and the like, place. And, and yeah, gypsies exactly. and, and flags. and No, in terms of vocally, EEO. Slightly more uh, ACDC esque, maybe to their uh, to their detriment. This power ballad did not age well. It's Are not you kidding me. No, I'm saying it's not one that you hear a lot, like in power ballad rotation. No, and I know people go, it's a top ten of all time, but it's not one that I love. The verses, it's such a beautiful song. Well, I think love songs age a little better than suicide songs. You're probably right. I mean, do people not remember this? No, great. I wonder if Aerosmith ever heard this. Good point. <laughs> Can I tell you that until this moment, I've never considered that? I didn't either, so I just heard it. In the middle of a suicide. Yeah, you're right. In the middle of a suicide. Great production. Yeah, it didn't, uh, suicide didn't stop the New Jersey state legislature from trying to make Born to Run the state's anthem of New Jersey. Born to Run is a... They tried, there was a it was a formal thing they tried to pass in New Jersey to make it the state anthem and Robert Wall, the comedian, used to have a great bit yeah. where he said... Robert Wall. Yeah. And he go, you know, uh, he didn't play it and talk through the lyrics. Baby, this town rips the bones from your back. It's a death <laughs> trap. It's a suicide <laughs> trap. A little rough. But yeah, when Bruce New sings Jersey. it. Yeah, New Jersey. New <laughs> Jersey. Come to Jersey. <laughs> Rips the bones from your back. I Put that know. on a license did, plate. Did they ever make a song for New Jersey? Well, I had Desmond Child on the show like last week. I remember you were telling me he was coming in. Oh, so excited to talk to him. How great was that? It was really, 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 really cool. I find songwriters 
I know that they think about their craft. I know that they have like a cerebral approach to it. It's not just as simple as sitting down and the magic pours out of them. Of course not. But I've been disappointed again and again by songwriters actually describing the process. Their craft, you know, and and I don't even think it's that they're like they don't want to give away the secrets. It's almost like I mean, they don't know. It's like I'm not asking the question right or something. No, they don't know. Desmond Child had a. Uh, really cool insights into the way that he makes hits and he says i was not aware of this but i have no reason to doubt him that they ultimately made living on a prayer the state song of new jersey that would make sense which might make well you notice his thing was that i've never heard anybody say before desmond child i think comes from a little bit more of i don't want to paint him into a corner because he's like a a gay man than the broadway thing yeah but <clears throat> he came out of something that was a little bit more like disco with his own solo stuff and then mm-hmm. co-wrote I Was Made for Loving You and stuff like that. But the I, I thought about it even after I talked to him. He said, the, the first you need the title and then um, the title kind of dictates like the title is like the one sentence pitch for a movie. Yes. And then the, the lyrics become kind of the script. Oh, the st- stage one, yeah. stage two. Yeah. And then he said, and then I need to cast my star. And what sort of role does my star play? You know, John Bon Jovi plays a certain kind of role. Alice Cooper plays a different wow. kind of role. That's fascinating. And he's like, and then I br- and then I bring in John Williams to do the music. Right, right. And just I've never heard anybody talk about that. But if you want to know why somebody, because I was also trying to understand so many other bands, Cheap Trick, like on the cover of your new Circus magazine, there talked about their hit songs as being happy accidents. Yeah. They could take their material so far, and then a little bit of magic pixie dust had to fall into the room Story. for it to become one of like the. And I'm sure you've had. And was guys. the pixie dust the producer adding the pixie dust, or was it them all being together? I think that there's. I think that every band has a different story. I think it's just yeah. like somebody started hitting a cowbell, and all of a sudden that thing took off. You know, Jack and Diane famously they used the uh, that little that little click drum yeah. machine thing. To keep time oh, yeah, while they yeah, were recording yeah. it was never intended to be there. And then by the, the second time they, they took done, it out, they took it out like, the whole song fell apart. Right, right. We need it back in. But Desmond Child is a guy who you bring in to to give you a hit, and it made sense well, that that he, he doesn't re- reply uh, re- uh, rely so much on serendipity because he is going at it like he's not he's not trying to write good songs. He's trying to write hit songs, and he's also writing for people when like as a, when you're in a band, you're writing for you. Do you know what I'm saying? He, mm-hmm. he's, he can write for Michelle Branch. He can write for Bon Jovi. Yeah. And like you said, he knows who's playing the roles in his movie he's making. That's very interesting to hear him sorry say about that. that. And, and, he, uh, and he makes the point that it's probably easier. He was he always wanted to be a star himself and is yeah. still not counting himself out of becoming a superstar. God bless him. Somehow, some way. But it was easier for him to be objective about what another person needed, what, what suited another person than it was for him to kind of look in the mirror and see his own character well i completely believe that because i always say this i am an expert on anybody's relationship in the world i can tell you what's wrong with your with your your wife your husband i can and i can i'm an expert i'm dr phil let's but on my too. own let's do that too sure too uh, we should what's wrong with your wife <laughs> Not, what's wrong with, well, seriously i could tell you what's wrong with your immediately but yeah. my own i can't yeah so going back to desmond's thing like mm-hmm. we we don't you don't see yourself objectively yes and I think when, well, but the superstars do. That's the thing. Well, they about, think they do. Well, he talked about Barbara Streisand as being somebody who had a perfect understanding of what she could do and what her physical type was and where she sat in a tradition of Judy Garland and stuff like that. He describes that as her genius. Yeah, but isn't that something that she got sort of pigeonholed in and couldn't get out of again? I don't. Do you, know, I, you know what I'm saying? I don't know enough about Barbara Streisand. To, 
Are we talking about Barbra Streisand? We went from the throbs to Barbra Streisand. This might be the best show of all time. (laughs) We got to go on that note. Uh, Already? I know. We just got here. I know. We barely scratched the hair metal power ballad. (laughs) Failed follow-up single surface. You are Mark McGrath. Mark McGrath's 120 weekends on the 90s online. MarkMcGrath.com for all your Mark McGrath needs. Hit me up on Twitter, too, guys. I love hearing from you. See you next time. Thanks, Tom.